Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune and I will be your host today on Game Changers. Joshua Frank is also here with me as my co-host and I want to dive right into the session and welcome our guest Carrie Ann Williams. Carrie Ann is the principal at Ondana Consulting. Carrie Ann, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what your company does. Hey Mike, thanks so much. It's great to be here with you all this afternoon. Um, Andana Consulting is a boutique marketing firm focused solely on professional services companies. We mostly work with architects, engineers, general contractors, and we support them in their efforts to win federal work through proposal development, capability statements, SOQs, all things marketing. We're full service marketing, uh, but our, our real forte is uh, executing proposals. I've been in the marketing industry for about 15 years. I uh, started out as an English major and uh, ended up working in-house at an architecture firm for several years and took that into to starting our company a couple years ago. So we work with a wide variety of clients and help them really position themselves to win work in, in the marketplace. Wow. Well, I, I guess I, being an English major, I should not let you look at any of my writing because that was my worst class in school. So I, I, I will pass on, on running those things by you. But, you know, one of the things you said right there that I thought was interesting that I don't hear from a lot of firms is you're, you mentioned your niche there and being niched in this engineering uh, and construction space. And I, I think that's super smart. I wish a lot of companies would do what you guys are doing. It helps you provide such a better service to this niche group. Um, so kudos to you guys on that. That's, that's pretty awesome. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. So, so let's get right into the topic today of streamlining the proposal process. I know this is a, an area that a lot of people have a challenge with, you know, you, you work through the, the first four or five phases of going to find a, a potential opportunity to actually getting to a point where you can write an RFP, 
and then oh, you get to the proposal, and it's kind of an afterthought for a lot of companies. So I'd love to hear from you on what are some of the the most common mistakes around the proposal process that that companies make. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head too. That it's an afterthought for a lot of companies. It's sort of a necessary evil. It's a way that we all have to to uh, go about getting work and winning new work. Um, it, we always joke uh, that a lawyer wouldn't go through an RFP process and put together their uh, approach to winning work to, to winning the trial and then go get the case. You know, people come to them exactly just we need you to do this work. They don't have to go through a full RFP process the way that we all do. Um, and in the federal marketplace, no matter what service or product you're providing, it, an RFP or an RFQ uh, of some sort is part of the process to, to getting that contract. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is people looking at a scope of work, looking at requirements and thinking, well, we can do this work. They're not positioned for it. They don't have the right intelligence. They don't have relationships built with the client or the end user or even other partners that they might bring in. Uh, but the scope of work reads like what they do every day. But again, it's not something that they're positioned for. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, too, with our, our resources and, and how we manage that. But just because you can do it doesn't mean you should be pursuing that work. Um, I think there's a, a real strategy around getting proposals that are winners and just you know being able to execute the work is not a, a good enough strategy to win that work um, you know most most small businesses even large have marketing teams that are you know full throttle all the time and respecting their capability and you know their their desire to win just as much as the owners or the technical leads um, you know it doesn't do anybody any good just to throw out 10 proposals in one month uh, and not win. If you can throw out two or three, you might win two or three because your resources and your, your team is really dedicated to it. Uh, so I think you know not having that passion to win the work is also really hard. If it's an afterthought, it's, it's something that came through on FedBizOps or one of your other listservs and you're like, oh yeah, let's do this, it's due in a week, let's throw something together you know, how could you possibly anticipate winning that? And unless you're the only bidder and you've got everything dotted and crossed, um, those things are really, it's very challenging to feel successful in an RFP process without a, a solid strategy. Yeah, no, that, no, I, I think almost everything you said, I'm like, oh, there's a nugget of wisdom. There's a nugget. I like, I don't even know how to ask questions. There are so many good things in there, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, from people who don't understand the customer to they aren't prepared for this. And I, I think there's a lot of people, you, you kind of hinted at this. I think a lot of people think it's a numbers game. I'm just going to submit a hundred of these. And if, if they're horrible, they're, it's okay. You know, I, I'll just submit 200 next month and maybe that'll get me what I want. But if it's horrible, it doesn't really matter how many you submit. So, I mean, how does your company come in and actually bring some sanity to this process? Because you know, again, it's one of those things, it is the afterthought for a lot of people and all those challenges of, you know, should we be bidding on this and all those kind of things? Like, how do you, how do you provide the sanity around something like that? Yeah, we, we try to take a lot of the pressure off of the internal teams or off of the technical staff. You know, Andana has technical writers and graphics designers um, and also proposal managers that really understand the whole process. Another bonus of working with a consultant rather than somebody that's in-house is that 
consultants aren't, we don't have the institutional knowledge that say you're a full-time marketing director would have. And so we do require a lot more coordination to get to a final product that's really meaningful. And so it actually, in my experience, having been in-house and now as a consultant, working in the consultant role on a proposal, even if we're responsible for the entire document, um, we get a lot more interaction with people. Uh, they, we get a lot more feedback from the technical staff. We get a lot more uh, involvement. And people aren't going to bring in a consultant to help them unless they really, really want to win the work, which is where I really have so much fun because I love working with people that really want to win. You know, they're, they're up late at night just like we are, fine-tuning things, getting stuff together. So working with clients that are very excited about the project that they're pursuing and what they're trying to do, they, they're bringing in consultants because they've got a strategy, they've thought through what they want to do, they, they're really excited about winning it, um, which makes our job a lot easier. Um, we also implement some of the processes that we've learned along the way in our life of proposal management. So, you know, things as strong as kickoff meetings, we follow some color team reviews. You know, we work with our every step of the way to bring a process together that's really helpful. Now that that's powerful stuff there. So I, you you mentioned the team a couple of times, and you know, being a consultant from the outside and working with you know, say my internal team there. I know I know a lot of people on the internal team hate the proposal process. It's the one. It's the email you don't want to get. Hey, we're working on this big proposal, and here are eighteen sections we need your feedback from. So how do you go about? To me, one of the most crucial pieces of this is building not only an internal team uh, of champions, but a motivated team who actually want to participate and, and help you. I mean, obviously you could bring the hammer from the CEO or the VP of something, but how do you guys, I mean, what are, what are some tips you guys have for, for motivating that internal team? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, internal teams are the core of getting a successful proposal put together without the marketing staff bringing their expertise and their skill set and the technical staff bringing their expertise and skill set plus the owners maybe any capture managers you know all of those pieces come together to really build that strategy around a proposal um and it, it is a lot of work uh, i think some people and i've had this said to me well don't you just push a button and yes yes you can export from a database and get your resumes together but that's not really the reason why you uh, are putting that proposal together uh, the the content the rewrites the the really making it meaningful to the client are what the proposal process is about um, I think it does have a top-down effect when the ownership or whatever leadership of that uh, division is really excited about winning this work. If there's been a process and there is a strategy, if you've been tracking something for six weeks or six months, you're very much more engaged in that proposal process from all levels of the organization because You've gathered intelligence, you've got your teaming partners, like external teaming partners together, you've gotten relationships with the client, you know what they want to write. That brings an energy to the whole proposal writing process that really melds the team together. There are often a few outliers, people that can't stare at a blank piece of paper, people that really don't understand their role in the whole thing. So for us, one of our key things is always doing a very strategic kickoff meeting. Um, and it, there might be several. There might be one that's just your internal team 
assigning roles and deadlines and getting that done. There might be another one where you bring in your external partners and advise them on their role, get their input, and make sure that they're on board. Um, but part of it all is getting together that accountability for the entire team of who's doing what, what our internal deadlines are. Um, I've always viewed the role of the marketing team as one that makes the technical job easier. So marketing is generally termed as overhead. And so billable work is done by the technical staff. And they're doing proposals on their own time or on the, the limited overhead time that they have allowed. So giving them tools to make their life easier, if they need to write a narrative for me, I'll find one that they wrote two years ago or find something that's similar from another proposal that they could use and modify. Because even as an English major, staring at a blank screen is sometimes a, a really daunting task. And providing whatever tools we can to get our teams to work together. Um, communication is just really, really key. You know, we, we put together checklists, we put together calendars. I've gone so far as to put deadlines on somebody else's calendar so they can <laughs> get stuff to me in nice. time. Um, that's a, a benefit when you're working in-house, especially if they, your, your, your edits are due today or your rewrites are due today. Um, but really making that bringing everyone together to get those skill sets lined up to get that accountability together and to make sure that the team is all working towards the same goal, which is to get this in on time and not only to get it in on time, but to write the best proposal that you can write uh, because that's what's going to win you the work. Yeah, absolutely. So Josh. Yeah. You know, I, uh, you've brought up, uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent, just a very brief tangent. You've said something several times and you keep using the word intelligence. You keep saying, you know, if you have the intelligence, if you're six weeks or six months out, you know, uh, everyone's engaged. In your opinion, how important is intelligence? And when we when we're talking intelligence, we're talking beyond what you can see in FedBizOps or mm -hmm. uh, or a listserv or bid matching system or what have you. You know, you are an expert at this. You are an expert at proposal development and change management and, and the teaming and working with other companies. How critical, in your opinion, is having information that is not public to successfully going through a proposal process? That is a great question. Um, I think it's extremely essential. And there's different levels of what intelligence you need to have based on the different types of opportunities you're pursuing. Uh, but even just having some basic groundwork laid where you've done some research. Uh, it doesn't have to be one-on-one -on -one where you've met with the client and you've met with all the end users, but it could be that you've been tracking this opportunity because it, you lost it previously. It's an on-call type contract. You know the incumbents, you know their team. You might even know some pricing information, which is always very valuable. Um, there's So there's different layers. There's There's like primary research that you can do, which is face-to-face, -face, meeting with the client, going to meet with the other incumbents or other teaming partners that can add value to your team. Uh, but there's also the secondary research, the like you mentioned, FedBizOps or FPDS or any of the other services that, that you can subscribe to that provide some information for you. So you're not going in blind. Uh, you're going in with some data that can really provide you with information that you can ghost from another 
a competitor that you know you guys can do it better or you know that the client has already really executed a lot of the work that might be listed in a giant scope and now they're focusing on a different area so you can really highlight your team's capability in that uh, arena but also having teaming partners uh, you know teaming partner research and, and what we do especially in the professional services teaming partners are really key to success in proposals especially federal proposals sometimes your team can really bring your whole entire package up a notch and get you to that next level in the evaluation process so knowing even the right people to bring in on your team it can make that can be intelligence that's strong enough to move you forward. So I don't know if I got too far. Uh, no, that was awesome for you, but <laughs> no, that was great. Thanks. Uh, I, again, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, that I, okay. I have an, another question asked based on what she just said. And then I have four more cause you keep talking and <laughs> it, there's, there's just a lot of really good nuggets here. So if, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, it, Carrie Ann's talking about some of this stuff like she does it every day because she does. And, it, and it's almost just very casual. But please go back and listen to every word she's saying about the data, about the intelligence, about the teaming partners and bringing the right ones on board to, to bring your your proposal up a notch. You know, you you talked about, um, you know, getting things submitted on time. I have heard multiple horror stories about people who you know it was due at five o'clock eastern and they submitted it at 505 and they were kicked out you know and, and like you go through all that work to get it there i mean what do you think what's the main reason that people make that kind of mistake and, and how do you avoid just the, the getting it in on time i mean is, is, is it just as simple as over estimating your capabilities to get it done and submit I was going to say, I think we're all just really optimistic. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're really sure that FedEx is really fast or that there's not going to be any traffic. I mean, I've, I've been there, two people in a car flying down the highway so one person can drive around while the other person runs in and throws the proposal across someone's desk. There's a bit of adrenaline there that makes it kind of fun, but that's not really the way you want your uh, entire career to be. Yeah. <laughs> I've done construction bids where you're standing outside the bid office, calling the guys are calling in numbers and you're writing those down. That's really exciting too. But again, like, can we can we have a little bit of uh, flexibility and and right. and some uh, some space in there to make it a little bit less less energizing? Um, so yeah, I, I do think part of it is overly optimistic uh, view of everybody involved. Um, I think also a lot of it is just late decision-making. An RFP comes through, you haven't really been tracking it, or you have, and it surprised you, which is completely understandable. It happens even to our clients. They don't know when RFPs are gonna be let out. But you sit on it, you might make a few phone calls, something else comes through, you've got a fire to put out, and then you've got two weeks before the deadline and you decide, hey, yeah, we are, we're gonna go after this but your marketing team is already lined up with other activities or your technical guys that would be working on it are already you know, on vacation or something. And so there's just not a, a full balancing of understanding what, what needs to go into the submission and how it needs to go out. I also think a lack of process with editing uh, can really, really cause some headaches at the very end where you've done your final review and then 
someone resigns. And so you have to switch out a resume and redo the org chart and you've maybe already printed and, and, and bind it. And now you're sitting there like, well, now we've got to take it all apart and redo it. And often that's the day it's going out in FedEx. Um, hmm. And you know, a best practice is really to build in a two day buffer, have everything done. Even if you are doing one of those last minute call in the bids, 99% of the, the books can be completed. You're just waiting to pencil in that number, um, making sure that you've got some buffer built in. So if FedEx gets it there at 5.05, it's actually two days before it's due, not the day it's due. So you have the opportunity to resubmit or resend it. Um, you know, you're not, you're not caught on that deadline. Another, just as we're talking, it made me remember, check FedEx's schedule. There are times where FedEx won't deliver to an area because it's too rural and the deadline might be 10 a.m., but FedEx won't guarantee it until two that day. So you have to build in that, that availability or go with UPS or, or have somebody fly down and deliver it. Um, none of those are you know, an ideal situation, but making sure at the onset, you've got all those ducks in a row. How's it being delivered? What's the FedEx policy? What's your internal policy? And if you build in an internal policy for two days out and and you build up and you, you end up eating those days because that you can't meet that deadline, then you've still, you've, you've not built it in to be there on that deadline, right? You've got that buffer. So right. you do have time to play around with it at the end. Well, it's, it's such a waste to go through and create the perfect proposal only to miss the deadline and lose it by that. So it, it's worth hopping on a plane if you've got to do that to, to go wherever you need to go. So, so, so let's jump into some of the game changers here. I think, I think we've clearly identified some of the major problems here. So talk to me. You, you've started to allude a little bit about this. Talk to me about having a go, no-go process. Yeah, that's the first part of the kickoff, the, the proposal process. And it's if it's done well and it's a thoughtful process and meaningful to whoever's executing it, then it'll make the rest of the proposal process go better. You know, I mentioned it sitting on someone's desk and them not really making that go no go decision because they've, you know, waiting on too many other inputs. Um, a simple form can can be used or a narrative something that provides some guidance and some tools to say, these are the reasons why we should go after this or not go after it. Um, and if that form or whatever tools you use to make that decision are also helping your decision line up with your company's goals. So not just your division goals, not just your proposal win hit rate goals, but your actual overall business strategy, you guys have wanted to grow in this area, or you've been tracking this client and you're providing these services over here and you wanna grow and add more, and this RFP is specifically for those additional services. So it's falling in line with your corporate strategy. That's gonna bring energy to the whole process too, because now you're really going after it with not only because you can do the work because you want to do the work, you've purposefully thought out about doing this work and this is right in line with what you want to do. Or maybe it's right next to what you want to do and there's a reason why, there's a good compelling reason. Your client has invited you, your teaming partners are spot on and you can't miss with them. You know, there's so many reasons. And so a flexible go, no, go sheet or go, no, go process can really make that and the rest of the proposal process go forward. And some other best practices around that are to set a timeline on it. 
if the RFP comes out on a Tuesday, you know, you've got 48 hours to get the go, no go sheet to your boss or to your marketer marketing staff so that they know. So it's not sitting on someone's desk. Um, another best practice is to have multiple people do it so that there's a maybe a consensus among different players that this is something that you guys really want to go after. Um, the courage to say no is really the whole point of this no-go-no-go process too because as I mentioned, one of the mistakes is saying, well, we can do this work. It's a five-year contract. If we don't bid it now, well, we won't get, get it for five more years. Um, or it's one big project and we, we won't be able to do it because it's the only standalone project of its kind. Um, but if you're not hitting on all the right cylinders or even hitting 75%, why would you do that? You know, having the courage to say no is really, really challenging as a business owner. It's challenging as a division director. It's challenging sometimes as a marketing director because you want to be able to bring in more work and, understanding when and how to say no to the some opportunities is really a very key in the whole process too yeah no no that's awesome i think one of my favorite ones you mentioned there was having multiple people involved in the in the go no go process you know i, I oversee a, a, a nonprofit and they just started their grant cycle uh last year and it started with every time a grant came up everybody thought let's do this <laughs> You know, especially there was one person on the team that didn't matter. Oh, it's due in four hours. Okay, let's drop everything and submit it. And finally, one we brought in somebody else, and that person said, "Okay, we're going to review everyone, and we're going to have a go no go process." You know, does this make sense? Can we facilitate this? How much time do we have? You know, they created that checklist, and so they went from winning almost no grants to now they're winning in the six figures of grants um, just by. Yeah, just by saying, hey, we're, we're only going to devote attention to things that we know we can win until we understand the process, and then we're going to expand our capabilities. And, and oh, by the way, you know, I know you're going to talk about this in a little bit. They you know, created a calendar and a lot of other different things. But, but being, being able to say, hey, we should or shouldn't, especially when you've got that one person on the team, whether it's if it's, if it's the salesperson. You know, for heaven's sakes, the the salesperson probably is not the no go, the go no go person because they're going to say go on every single one and not understand the resources behind it. So having mm-hmm. having a couple of people, you know, the the VP of marketing and the VP of sales and somebody else, the COO or somebody that actually says yes, we can, and, and you get the consensus from all three. I think I think that is really really big. You just said something that is probably one of the top game changers that's coming out of this podcast. And that's don't simply rely on the sales rep, the business developer, the capture manager to make the decision. I mean, and and, and Carrie-Ann, I think that's why you're talking about it should be a formal process. There should Mm -hmm. be some document, something you go through. And so, you know, we've just hit a whole bunch of different game changers. One, there should be a formal process. Uh, two, it should not just be the salesperson. And three, it should be a team effort because there's multiple resources in the company that have to be employed. Um, Carrie Ann, is there anything else on that that I missed? No, I think that's perfect. And uh, the only thing I want to emphasize too is that we, we talk about process and I think that terrifies some people, but it can be a five minute process that three people fill out a form that takes them 30 seconds. They, you know, reading the RFP outside of that. And then 
that can be your process. It doesn't have to be lengthy, multi-layered, and cumbersome. The whole idea is that it's something that is simple and easy to do, but that really is meaningful to the organization. Yeah, and and I think if if we're talking to engineers here, which we have a lot of engineers, uh, you know, and I I have an engineering background. I think it's easy when you're an engineer to hear process and think flow chart, workflow, Microsoft project, 85 steps, 18, you know, and, and you just hit on, it doesn't have to be that. It can be really, really simple. It can take five minutes. Um, and, and that's a really big deal. So I, I want to kind of jump ahead here and ask a different question here, you know, you, cause you've hinted about this, um, you know, thinking about resources for a might win versus a must win. I think it really ties into the go, no go process. Cause I, I think there's, there's a lot of we might win this versus a must win. And like, first off, how do you define as a company what's a might win versus a must win? And then talk to me about understanding the, the resource challenge you have around that. So, Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. The, the must wins are ones that are in your wheelhouse. They, you're the incumbent. You've had the contract before. You know the client or the client knows you well you've been invited to win or you've put together a team because you've been tracking something for a while and you know that this team is really going to be the one that is is going to, to bring it and maybe be one of multiple contractors, maybe you're bidding just to win one, but the, the must wins are the ones that are fully in your company's wheelhouse for any number of reasons. Or they're those strategic pursuits where you're looking to expand, you've opened a new office, you need more contracts with that client or in that region. So making sure that those are being tracked, they're being monitored by the sales staff, the capture staff, and even the marketing staff, that there's a, a dialogue, a continuous dialogue about the status of things and what's going on. You know, as I mentioned earlier, even our clients don't know when RFPs are gonna come out sometimes. And so just, as much as you can be prepared for those that you know you really want or you can't live without, especially for those long IDIQs where the, you know they're your contract, they're your bread and butter, um, that you've, you're not gonna miss putting that opportunity together. And you can't rely on being the incumbent in order to win, you know, that the whole proposal has to read as though you're competing for the very first time because all the reviewers don't necessarily know who you are or that you're incumbent or that you're doing a great job. You need to make sure that you're demonstrating that. So it's the same level of proposal effort as one that is also a must win that you're brand new to. Um, but I, I think part of that also goes into the, the might win category are those that are in your wheelhouse or that you haven't been tracking that somebody emailed you and then you feel compelled to do it because someone thought of you um, and a teaming partner or a colleague or a vendor even saying, Hey, thought you might want to do this. Um, those are cool to bounce around the office, take a look at, do the go, no go, make sure like, Hey, if, if we could do this, what, what, what could we do with it? Is this a real opportunity for us? And, and really consider that. Um, it starts a good dialogue amongst the team in the office, but the whole point is then you're you're looking at it against your must-win schedule. Well, is this going to be coming out the same time as the other one that we've been tracking for six months? Or is our marketing team already working on one of those must-wins? And if we pull them off and put them on this, maybe we might, might win this or we kind of have a shot at it, 
what are we going to do to that other submission? Um, maybe they're working on a giant SOQ for another project and putting them on this maybe might win kind of like it opportunity isn't really going to add any value to anybody and in fact hurt some of your other efforts. So that constant communication of what you're tracking, what you as the owner or division chief really want to win and why, and then understanding the resource loading of your technical and your marketing staff so that there's a continuous movement of projects being prioritized because when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And often these things all get elevated at the same time. So you have your incumbent contract and these five other ones and that you have no idea about, but they came through, so you're going to do all of them. And then you're ending up like your nonprofit, Mike, where you're, you're hitting, sending a lot of paper out the door, but you're not getting the results that you want to see. So right. that focus is really, really key. Right. No, no, that's huge. So I, I think we have time for one more game changer here before we wrap up. And I know you're a huge fan of the formal kickoff meeting. And I know when I talk to a lot of people, it's like the proposal process in general. When people hear a kickoff meeting, they think, oh, no, you know, we're going to go sit around a room and try to get excited about this. And it, just about any meeting in any company is a waste of time for a lot of folks. So so how do you make the formal kickoff meeting like the just awesome and the, the pivotal jump off point for the whole proposal process? So I have two things that I love to do at a kickoff meeting. One is come prepared with the, the checklist and the schedule already flushed out, um, even have some penciled in assignments and some deadlines so that we as a team can agree on all of those, uh, who's writing what, when it's due, how we're gonna get this done, and really go through the entire process of how we're gonna manage everything internally. The other element that I like to add to a kickoff meeting is to fine tune and develop our win themes and our strategy and so we come with a series of questions. Uh, what does the client know about us? What do we know about the client or the end user? Um, what do we know about our competition? What are the evaluation criteria and how are we going to meet those? Uh, not just in terms of what projects we're gonna use and what people we're gonna use, because those are definitely items discussed at the meeting, but this is the big picture stuff that we pepper in to the narrative that gets written in or creating graphics created for it. So the kickoff meeting, if you have, a, my opinion is that if you have a great kickoff meeting, then your pink team and your red team meetings should be very painless. Your kickoff meeting is really where you're putting some nuts and bolts together, where you're putting those big picture thoughts together. And so that all of your writers, all of your teaming partners know what, we're all marching to the same drum. We're all working towards that same narrative. So that when we get to the red team, no one's freaking out that, oh, well, why didn't we mention that we did these five other things? That's all been brought up at this meeting. So asking some of those real strategic questions so that your whole proposal team at the end of the day is writing it to a document that everyone agrees to. And 
it makes then your red team a lot less painful and your red team recovery a little bit more streamlined. So then you can meet your deadline. So, cool. well, I, I, before uh, I close up, I want to ask a couple of quick questions of, of what you just said. And then I think Josh has a couple of quick questions and, and I'm just going to ignore the time for a moment here because this is good stuff. So if, if you are new to the proposal process, Carrie might've said some things that you have no clue what they mean just now, but they're really good stuff. So can you explain what a win theme is and what a pink and a red team are. Oh, sure. So um, win themes are your key points that you have decided, you as your your, uh, your firm have decided that set you apart, that are the reasons why the client would want to hire your firm over another. And so you identify these win themes and it's more than just we've done the work before or we have an office down the street these are really strategic, very, very pointed, very targeted to the client and their pain points. How are you alleviating what keeps them up at night? Those are your win themes. And you and they might not be, they're going to be in your cover letter. They're going to be in your narratives. You're going to include them somehow in your project write-ups. Um, you know, some of Wind themes often on construction include something about security and safety. There's usually something very poignant in that area. So you make sure you weave that story into each section of your proposal. Um, you know, some sections are not going to have an opportunity for that, but these are the overarching reasons why the client can't live without you. And you put those in the proposal. Um, and pink and red teams, um, that's part of the Shipley method. And there are some very very smart, talented people that follow that, that train in that. Um, I use them uh, as sort of guidance terms for how we do our process. The pink team is the first draft. It's rough layouts. It's often a lot of the narrative is there, but it's not really fine-tuned. Graphics aren't really finalized. Um, we might be evaluating a couple of projects or a couple of resumes and, and looking at them against each other at that time. But it's the first draft, it's the rough draft, it's are we on the same track? Have we hit the win themes? Do we have the right projects included? Um, from there, everybody gets their feedback and, and some people are rewriting content or creating new at that point. Um, the red team is generally a couple weeks later, depending on how much time you have. Um, and that's your really mostly final draft. You've got graphics, you've finalized your projects and your resumes, you've gotten all of your teaming partners information in and you're really almost ready to go. At that point, you're fine-tuning narratives, you're double-checking things, you're making sure that you're fully compliant with the RFP requirements, and you're good to go. So from there, you're just creating that ultimate final draft that goes to the client. Perfect. Josh, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, uh, Carrie Ann, first, thank you for coming on. Um, I know Mike's going to do a close-up, but, uh, you know, we are – our reaches um, consistently, you know, several thousand companies, and most of them are small business, right? Most of them are still learning the acronyms. They're still trying to understand intelligence, being able to say no, a basic go, no go process. How small do you go, Carrie Ann, in terms of the uh, services you provide to the size of company? Yeah, we work with very small companies. Uh, several of our clients are very small. They're also startups that, you know, have, have ventured out on their own. Um, we work 
on developing qualifications, capability statements, and helping with the proposal and win strategies for them. Um, but we also consult with gigantic companies that have full marketing teams that want search capacity overflow, or they want somebody to bring in a niche expertise in QCing a proposal or a red team review. So you know, we we cover the the breadth, I and mean, we are we are a small company, so we we kind of adapt as we need to. Nice. But uh, small companies are the ones that really love the projects that we're working on with them too. So that makes it fun for us. Oh, that's good stuff. So I- any final thoughts for our listeners before we, we round things out here? Yeah, quickly. I was want to leave everybody with the thought that proposals are very meaningful and can be very important marketing activities. You know, they're, they're not your website. They're not your SOQ or a trade show booth. But they can be really powerful, energizing marketing sprints because you have essentially 30 days to put together all of your best qualifications to do that work. And at the end of it, you've got amazing write-ups. You've probably got some new content that you can use elsewhere in your marketing activities. But if you consider that proposals are kind of those marketing sprints that can really get you in 30 days from zero to nothing, from zero to 60. You, you can really look at them as much more energizing and less of a necessary evil, but more as a meaningful marketing activity. No, that's that's powerful. I, I think just making the, the simple mind shift there that you're talking about of this is not going to be a life draining abyss here. It's it, this is going to be something that energizes us towards this next thing. I know going back to the nonprofit, every time we get into a grant cycle, my team always pulls me in. And it's one of those things. It's like, wow, look, because you have to look at all your accomplishments when you're doing it. Wow, look at all everything we've accomplished. And you have to pour that in there. And the, hey, look at what we want to accomplish by doing this. And it's such an energizing force for our organizations. So I, I, I love that concept of just making that simple mind shift. So, so thank you for all your wisdom today, Carrie Ann. I want to have you back on and talk more about proposals. I, I think we could talk forever on different things on proposals because there's so many things. This is, I mean, this is why you play the game is to get in there, to write a proposal, to win something so you can do the work. So it's, it's super powerful. So thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So so I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about every guest, including Carrie Ann here, by visiting our official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where we have links to their websites and bios and different things like that. I think we'll you know have their, their LinkedIn and all that stuff is on there. So you can find her website and all that good stuff. Uh, Last but not least, I want you to visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers. Changers.